Hey guys, go to BurtBurtBurt.com and get yourself some fresh-ass gear. Get yourself a BurtCast coffee mug. Rock it in front of your coworkers like, that's what's up. That's how I do it. That's how I do's it. Get yourself a BurtCast shirt. Wear it at Family Reunion. They got brand new BurtCast shirts. People are like, whoa, 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 I've never even seen that. You're like, yeah, because it's brand new. And I'm a trendsetter. I'm a forerunner in fashion. Get yourself a, a machine shirt. They're amazing workout shirts. I literally got a picture from Eliza on Instagram uh, the other day of her working out in her machine shirt. Uh, get my book, Life of the Party. Hang, Read it on a bus. And people will be like, oh, look at that person. He reads. God, I want to hang out with readers. Uh, check out my tour dates. And, and that's it. Today's guest, stand-up comedian, television host from TBS's Dinner and a Movie, which ran for 16 years. And host of the Mental Illness Happy Hour podcast, Paul Gilmartin. This is Okay, from Tampa specifically. Here, we're recording. Mons Venus. Dude, Mons Venus lap dances were next level. I mean, when we yeah. were kids, you'd get a lap dance at Mons Venus. You'd go in, like, we'd wear umbros. We'd wear like the thinnest shorts possible. And they would literally it put their so hands in your pants. <laughs> and I mean, and, I, and that was where I was groomed on lap dances, was Mons oh, Venus okay. as a kid. I now look back and I go, they were creating sexual predators. Like, they didn't know yeah. it, but they were making the type of guy that is not allowed in America these days. Yeah. So I, I look at it like, I remember, I, I like that with all my Tampa friends. All my Tampa friends. There's so much shit I could talk to you about. I could talk to you about, about nine different things. I feel like I brought you on my podcast so that I could do your podcast on my podcast. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Do you feel like people do that to you? Sometimes, yeah. It's. I think everybody wants to talk about the stuff that's hard to talk about. And when they find somebody that they know isn't going to be judgmental, they just want to spill it all. I'm the same way. I just did uh, Chris, Christina Pazitsky's uh, oh, podcast. Oh, Push is one of my favorite human beings. I love her. She's great. And she was a guest on my podcast, and then I just did hers. She's really open and honest about that therapy so shit. So open and honest. And I just started gushing about shit. You know, some of it I've talked about in my podcast before, but you know, one of the things I shared with her is I've jerked off thinking about jerking off in front of my mom before. <laughs> I've How's that for an opening salvo? <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. I learned of that. I'm really bad at remembering, remembering things. And I'm, I think my brain is on the fritz. But I learned about the mother sexualization of a child through you. Not through you, but by you on the internet. I think it was an AV interview mm-hmm. I read on the road. Uh, dealing with fucking massive, uh, just crippling anxiety. Yeah. And uh, is that something you experienced as a child? No, no, no. I don't, my mom was, my mom was vacant. I love my mom very much, but yeah. she was the kind of woman that had dreams, just like me and you had dreams in life. But that was not allowed. And then she got married, and all her ideas were on the back burner. And she, I think I'm guessing, and if my mom's listening to this, she's probably appalled, but. I think she was forced into a life of being a teacher and working in early childhood development because that, quite honestly, no one was going to support her being a singer or an ice skater or whatever she really wanted to do. And and my dad's dreams came first, hers came second. And I have, and this is sad to say, but I have a distinct memory of my mom in a car daydreaming, like driving us, but daydreaming and being 
like out to lunch. Not not like she wasn't there for us, but just like like this. Like what if? <laughs> what if? Thinking about what might have been. Yeah. You know exactly, and so. And I think I, my mom's a very ha- happy person, but that's what I remember. But I learned a lot of, uh, you know, through your podcast, I was, I've just, was, the honesty is crippling. The honesty is like, I, I mean, I was normally an honest person when it came to anxiety and uh, anxiety really is where yeah. my whole fucking thing is. Well, we'll definitely have stuff to talk about when you, uh, when you come on uh, my podcast. I'm, I, you said to me, you were like, uh, we we talked online, and you were like, uh, yeah, just so you know, I tape them, but some of them I don't release because if you can't get into that honest place, and I was like, okay, okay, I and I was like, I think that was the nicest thing anyone could have said because I don't know if I'm ready to be in that honest place. Seriously, I'm being dead serious. Well, whenever you're ready, we'll yeah. we'll yeah. do it. And the other thing is, we can try recording it, and if you want it shelved, we'll shelve it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, my problem is I'll open up like a sieve. I'll just be like, dump on you. And you'll be like, wow, this was actually really great. I can't wait to release it. And I won't say anything. And I'll go, yeah, please do. And then in my head, I'll be like, I really regret opening up that much about alcoholism and drug addiction. And but, then, but then you're going to get emails from people that will say, you spoke my inner life and I feel less alone. And the first one of those you'll get, you'll be like, the universe wanted me to share that stuff. And I'm glad I did it. I guarantee you that will happen, Bert. Yeah, we yeah. Yeah, well, but if you're not ready to talk about not. it, yeah. <laughs> no, I guarantee you that will happen. Every single person that's gone deep on my podcast, you know what? Even some of the ones that haven't, I, somebody relates to it and emails me, and I forward it on to them, and and they're like, "Oh my god, thank you so much!" And for you know, some of them, like the Lauren Ashley Bishop episode, she's been getting an avalanche of emails from people who are like, "You." Described my PTSD to a T. You described this to a T. Thank you so much. So it's it's a great it's a great thing that you're doing, and mm-hmm. and I mean it's it it sincerely is. Well, thank I you. I just think I just think there are some people where I like I think some people get like there's I remember in high school there were kids that didn't want to like if you smoked pot they're like don't tell anyone we smoked pot I was like what the fuck is the point of smoking it. <laughs> Like we're telling, we're smoking it so we can be cool, so everyone knows we're cool. Right? Like what the fuck? And they're like, just don't tell my parents. Yeah, I was like, yeah, don't tell our parents. But we're gonna tell everyone at the party we're high. Yeah. That's why they know we're high. And then we're tell everyone under thirty that I get high. So I, what I'm I'm interested in is like, I, and there's a ton of stuff. There's a ton of stuff I'm interested in you. But one of the main ones that fascinates me is you're you're sober for like fifteen years. Uh, Eleven. Eleven years. Yeah. What was uh what, what was that? What was the bottom? The bottom was emotional for me because I didn't lose uh, anything on paper. I still had a house, a wife, a job on on TV. I was in the almost exactly the middle of uh, the the run. Uh, I did a TV show called Dinner don't, and a Movie. Yeah, no, my buddy was uh, one of the my buddy worked on it. Chris Gillen. Oh, I love Chris. Yeah, he, the, he it was the greatest gig yeah. in the world. You had, we had arguably so much the fun. best job it was anyone's great. ever had. It was great. And here's alcoholism is in the middle of it. I thought that the job was beneath me. My life was terrible. And then I needed to kill myself. That's alcoholism. Alcoholism has so little to do with alcohol. That's just a 
blunt way of trying to treat it. And I was trying to treat it with fame and fortune and money and power and recognition, all of which you can never get enough of because once you get that hit, it's like cocaine. It makes you want more of it. And the alcohol was just my way of numbing myself and coping with my feelings of low self-esteem and trying to fill that hole in myself, um, in my soul. Um, so I got tired of thinking about killing myself. And just one morning I sat up and I, and I just said, God help me. I can't do this anymore. And, uh, and I went and I got help and, uh, been getting help every day. Uh, you know, a couple of times a week since then. You go to meetings? Uh, yeah, I go to a support group and, um, it's, uh, it, I found there all the things I wanted in life in a package. I never expected it to, to come in. And it's, uh, you know, I'm an addict for, uh, to a lot of different things other than drugs and alcohol. I can get addicted to video games, to pornography. So I've sworn off pornography. I just swore it off for 2015. Yeah. How's that going? uh, I'm good. I've, it's, it's, it, sadly enough, it would. It takes more than me just saying I'm not going to be looking at porn. It takes. It really would take a cleansing of my hard drive, of my Twitter account, of my Instagram. So it shows up. It shows up. I just and I see it, but I don't. I don't watch it. I don't. Yeah. And so because my thing was, I felt like I, I had an, an idea. I was like, I just a thought. I thought to myself, if my if my wife was googling dick as much as I'm looking at. If she was looking at dicks as much as I'm looking at tits and ass, I would be heartbroken. I would be like, hey, are you happy in this relationship? Mm-hmm. But sadly, in a weird way, I look at it and it goes back to Mons Venus. It, I look at it like, um, like, well, yeah, but I'm a guy. That's kind of what we do. I'm in this weird subculture of comics that we have a different set of morals for us. We don't get offended. Language doesn't bother us. Sexuality is kind of passe to us and we talk about we're very open-minded but we're very very thick thick thick-skinned about everything i you know and and i think that's true morally yeah but i think in terms of what we deserve and what our partner deserves in our life is a different issue we both deserve intimacy you deserve intimacy you deserve to try to fill that hole in your soul that pornography feels and you know this isn't to say that pornography is a bad thing i don't feel that pornography is morally a bad thing oh, it's just not, not me either it's just not a healthy thing for me because it leaves me wanting more pornography and it increases distance between my wife and i because um then i'm trapped in my head and i'm trapped in fantasy and it's just not good and it has nothing to do with how my wife looks she's a, a beautiful woman she keeps herself in great shape yeah. it has nothing to do with that it's it's my my fear of getting too close to somebody and jerking off to an image of a woman there's a safety there because i can orgasm but not have any responsibility uh yeah yeah and it's and I feel like I got to a place where I couldn't – I feel like I broke my governor. Yeah. Like I couldn't find anything that was really cool anymore. And it was like – I mean, it, I honestly – honestly, and, I, and the thing that made me turn was uh, I was on uh, Rogan's podcast and I mentioned quicksand porn, which I had heard about on Radiolab. What is that? Let me guess. The the women are what buried up to their neck or something. And it's, well, see, I here's, don't even want to know. Here's where he gets. This is this is where 
this is when I made the call to definitely fucking stop looking at porn for a long time. Is I mentioned it on Rogan's podcast, and obviously his podcast reaches fucking millions. So then I start getting inundated on Twitter of like, uh, here you go, Mr. Kreischer, here's your quicksand porn. And I click on one of the links, and uh, it's a girl in like quicksand, and she kind of like ankles, then shins, then knees. She's got panties on and topless, and just kind of falling into quicksand. And then like get the 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 real sweet spots when they get right to the tit, like b- lower tit, and they're in the dirt, and they're and and I'm watching this, and I'm going, this is uh, this is fucked up, and it's tr- it's arousing me because I've never seen anything like it, and that's what I'm looking for is the thing I've never fucking seen anything like. The thing that's brand new, just like I saw, when I saw the first vagina at Mikey Derry's house in, in a in a porn, and I went, "Whoa, what's that?" It's like uh, it's visually it's stunning because you've it's unfamiliar to you. It's like a joke. It's like a premise of a joke. Yeah. Surprise! I'm addicted to surprise, yeah. and I'm watching quicksand porn, and then I start watching more, and then I'm in my man cave. I'm back here, and I'm googling. I'm getting other suggestions from people, and then I'm starting to discern what makes good quicksand porn and what makes bad quicksand porn. And I have firm views on, on quicksand porn. On quicksand porn, I don't like indoor quicksand porn. I like outdoor oh quicksand porn. I don't know if it's the natural lighting. I don't know what it is. Oh I don't want. I don't God. want the girl to porn face it up. I don't want the. Uh. I wanted to really. I hate that in any porn. I hate that so much. And then I start go Googling, and then I start seeing, like, I start really getting into my childhood and going, I was obsessed with quicksand as a kid. I was, every fucking movie, me and you, guys, we're roughly the same age, I'd guess. Yeah. Every movie we've seen had quicksand. Uh, Abbott and Costello always got stuck in quicksand. Gilligan's Island, there was some quicksand. quicksand. Fucking, and, and if, if they had Ginger get stuck in the quicksand, as a child, that would t- arouse me. It yeah. would turn me on. I don't know who the fuck keeps calling. I turn my phone off, and so, um, and then I started seeing the mashup. Someone tapped into my psyche, and now I'm looking at quicksand porn with uh, in superhero costumes, girls in superhero costumes. I'm like, ooh, okay. Wow. And now I'm like, what the fuck have I opened up in me? And I'm like, and I said to myself, I cannot allow myself to masturbate to a girl in quicksand porn because that would be lower than what am I? What is it? Was there was there a female in your life who was overwhelming to you kind of emotionally or in terms of like physical boundaries? No. The first porn I ever saw was um first porn I ever saw was uh bondage uh bondage porn. Oh man, that's not good. Yeah, it was uh it was in a it was in it was the first porn my sister saw too, oddly enough. But it was in a, a newsstand. Not not for kids is yeah. what I'm saying. I'm not saying bondage porn is is bad, but for a first thing for a kid to see that. And my sister called me and she was like, "Bert, look at this. Look at her tits. I mean, we were like kids. Look at her boobs." And and I must have been first grade. And she showed it to me, and I sh- my mom was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" and grabbed it out of our hands. First visual. Of, Whose porn was it? You, it was, in, it was on, in the in a news store. It was just sitting. Oh, you weren't watching it. It no, was. It, it was. was on the, it was in a magazine. Oh, it was uh, on Fletcher Avenue or Fowler. It was on Fowler, uh, right by the pizza place. I don't know if anyone remembers that in Tampa, but uh, there was this newsstand. And that's the first thing I saw. I mean, I'm, I'm going to end up talking about me the whole time. Let's go back. It's all good. No. Um. So, but. Porn, yes, I porn. I do believe is it can be corrosive. It can be cro- It can it can be something that a couple watches together that can bring them closer together, or it can be something that pushes them further apart. Did you ever watch the kind of porn that you could have seen with your wife? 
Like, I could never show the shit that I've seen to my wife. She'd be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Uh, I've looked at that type of porn, and I've looked at porn that uh, I could watch with my wife. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I don't I don't miss it. And the longer I go without watching it, uh, the less I, I think about it. I don't even really think about it. Uh, I almost uh, accidentally watched something last night. I clicked on a news article because I was curious about something and this porno came up and I looked at it for about two seconds and went, Oh yeah, this is a porno. And I clicked stop on it and just closed my browser. But uh, it's also nice to have a fairly clean computer. You know, I'm sure there's something still floating around in there buried, but um, I think I've deleted everything, you know, off of my hard drive. You know, it's nice to to not hear all of a sudden your hard drive spinning really fast yeah, you could. It, it's like you're. Yeah. <laughs> then all of a sudden, the computer gets hot. Like fuck. Yeah. yeah. You, it's it's like uh, it's like uh, uh, Eric Stoltz in Pulp Fiction putting his hair in a ponytail. All right, prank caller. I got it. I can do this. <laughs> you're to stab her in the heart with yeah. the syringe. <laughs> what now? What was the transition from what I'd assume is emotionally disconnected by drinking mm-hmm. to where you are now? A lot of work. Um, therapy, continuous therapy, psychiatry, meds, prayer, meditation, um, uh, processing the trauma that I went through as a kid. That's probably the biggest, the biggest thing, opening up to people, getting a safe support network, reading books, um, sometimes doing nothing and backsliding and, and realizing, oh, uh, it, it, I need to keep moving my feet forward. The The road to recovery is circuitous and it is not, it's not linear and it's not always clear. And that sometimes when you're making the most strides, you think that you're fucking up the worst because you feel terrible because yeah. you're not numbing yourself with the stuff that you're addicted to. So you're feeling that pain from childhood or wherever it is, just your, your own personal who knows, you know, maybe fear that you're not enough, you don't do enough, or you don't have enough. Now, well, what's, what is, was the show more fun to shoot when you sobered up? Oh, yeah, I appreciated it much more. Um, I still didn't like the advertising, the holding up of the unhealthy product and saying, this is a healthy product, yeah. you know, because you had to, you had to say it. Um, and, you know, we advertised a lot of products for corporations that I was not fans of. But a lot of it was good. And the people that I worked with were fucking awesome. And that was the part that I really miss today. I miss the paycheck and I miss the people I worked with. But I do not miss um, the other parts of it. I don't miss the pressure of doing a show uh, on, on national television. I, I realized very shortly into the into the run of the show that I don't like being on 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 TV. Really? Um, yeah, I we don't. on TV for like 18 years. Uh, 16 years. I don't like the pressure of it. I like being creative. I like working with other people. Um, I, I should say I don't like the tension of compromising what I think is funny, knowing that it's going to air in front of a lot of people. Uh, if there had been a different type show, you know, if I was on Mr. Show, I would have felt completely differently about it. Because there is there well, there was a a uh kitschiness to it. Yeah. I mean, but you know, I don't know if I think it was a good show and I think we had moments that were dare I say, you know, 
super memorable and hilarious and unique. But there were also a lot of moments where I felt like um, the comic in me was rolling his eyes like, oh, we can do better than this. Or, you know, a joke would be squashed because a sponsor uh, didn't like that their product was in the shot when we did that risque joke. And I... You know, being a stand-up comedian, we're used to autonomy, and that would make me just want to wring their throat and go, fuck you, fuck your product, you know, fuck you for thinking that you own the show, fuck the sales team for giving away the store and not saying we're not compromising the integrity of this show for your product. Um, You can go advertise somewhere else. But that's reality. They're they're, they're a corporation. They're not there to make art. They're there to – everybody's there to make money. Including myself, so why should I hold them to a different standard? See, I've always been very disconnected with my TV and my stand-up, and I—I th- I don't know. I think you have to be. I, I, I'm like I have no. I understand that when I'm on TV, I'm not going to be the guy I am on stage, and that you're not going to see that. But you get hints of it. It is my personality. It is me. Yeah. But I'm also not. I'm not reading copy, and I'm not. You you were pretty much stand and deliver. You were for the ads, but for the rest of it, it was action. Like I'm jumping off a cliff or something. You were you. I mean, your show was fucking. Hey guys, welcome back. Mm -hmm. And Mm. and so, but but it was mostly improvised, and it was conversive between myself and people that I love. But the advertising part of it. or the coming up with a, a great idea and having the advertiser say, no, we're not comfortable with that bit happening while our product is on the counter. Wow, that's crazy. That, yeah, that, I can see that. That part drove me, really drove me crazy. So now getting to do this podcast, even though it's a very meager living, it's I have never felt so free. I like I, I retired from doing uh, stand-up, so I don't have to You're babysit. You stand-up anymore? No. No, I sometimes do my Republican character around town or at a festival out of town. But uh, as far as straight stand-up, now I retired about, uh, I don't know, three three years ago, okay. four years ago. And I don't miss it one fucking <laughs> bit, not uh, not even the slightest bit. Because I can be funny on my podcast. I can, if I think of a funny joke, I can get it out of there on Twitter in five minutes. Mm-hmm. So the outlet is still there. Um, I, I think I always wanted to do podcasts before there were podcasts i've wanted to do uh i think i'd like to do i think i'd enjoy having a radio show i wouldn't uh but the podcast i really enjoy having a podcast i really enjoy the what i don't like is the guests i don't like having to get guests i wish i had someone do that for me i'd love that because i like but this moment is the reason I keep the podcast because, like, you're someone I've known of probably for fucking 16 years, as long as I've been doing stand up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I would love the opportunity to sit and talk with you. But if you, if I pass you at a club, you may be with your group of friends who are not my group of friends, and one of your friends doesn't like me, and I can't go over there and <laughs> just jump in and go, Man, Paul, I really love your podcast, I really mm-hmm. love what you're doing, mm-hmm. I would love to talk to you about. Uh, sobriety and addiction. I'd love to talk to you about. I would love to talk to you specifically about your podcast and what you enjoy about your podcast. But you can't do that. But on a podcast, I get that opportunity. Yeah, I, I get. To, I get to be like, and in a weird way, I think because we're part of this small community, we respect 
that in each other, and, and I'd probably be distant to people at clubs. But when you get on a podcast, you're like, hey, let's be friends. Let's see Isn't we- it funny how people some, sometimes think that we're so aloof, and what it really is is we're insecure and trapped in our own heads and Doug full Benson. of fear? Doug Benson, I thought he didn't like me for the first fucking five years, or ten, ten year, maybe ten years I was in comedy. I, I'd see him and Graham and at the Hollywood Improv, and I'd, I'd like nod or something, and he'd just look at me, and I'd be like, okay. And then, like, Pusain would be doing that. I kind of knew Pusain, but I didn't really know Pusain. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to jump in. I never said anything. And then one day, I'm dropping my kid off at school, and Doug's getting high in his car, getting ready to go work out. And I know that's not he, how he says it didn't happen, but I believed he was getting high in his car, heading into sure. the gym at Gold's. And I'm dropping my kid off. I see Doug, and I, I got caught off guard, and I just said, I have to tell you, I think that what you did with Super Jaime was genius. I said, I think the movie was great. I think the marketing was even better. The the fact that I, they run it nonstop on G4, that is so fantastic, man. I am so envious of that. And and I literally think Doug looked at me like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and then he was like, thank you? But you know how Doug can be like, thank you? And I was yes. like, just, I'm Bert, I'm a comic. And he goes, no, I know. Okay. Yeah. And then he reached out and he was like, would you like to be on my podcast? And I was like, yeah. And we've been friends ever since. That's hilarious. But it's like that with a lot of people. Like that you It just- is. You got to make that first – that's kind of the gist of what I say on my podcast is for to encourage people to begin to process stuff that happened to them or, or to just become the person they want to be. A lot of times you got to be the person to make that first gesture to say, hey, would you like to go get coffee or yeah. – you know, you got a minute? Can I can I ask you a question? Or hey, you look like you 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 need a hug or you need to talk. Is there something you wanna you wanna talk about? You know, and, yeah. and but it's scary because God, rejection is so horrible. Really and why is. did we get into stand up if we are afraid of rejection? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? I have no fucking clue why I got into this fucking thing. I honestly, I had one morning where I woke up in the morning. It was like middle of the night. I woke up and I sat in a bed in, in Vegas and I said, I've made all my decisions drunk. I have not put any fucking thought into any fucking decision I've made in my life. If you write a book, that has to be the name of your book. No, I wrote I've a made... book and that was definitely not in there. I was <laughs> definitely not in there. My book was more about fun partying tales as opposed yeah. to fucking full-blown anxiety attacks where you're throwing up in a bathtub and you're like calling your wife going, I'm going to run away. How bad is your drinking and, and drugging? No, not bad at all. I mean, look. I, I don't use drugs, drugs at all. I mean, I do, I do yeah. take Ambien, and I have a prescription of Xanax, but I don't I don't really fuck around with Xanax that much, only because I'm scared of benzos. Yeah. Uh, there was a period where I was using Xanax f- more frequently than I knew I should, um, and that and I just quit. But I still have a prescription because I do get anxiety attacks. Um, I'll take Ambien. I'll take a half an Ambien sometimes, but once again, I'm so terrified of getting addicted to stuff. It, that benzos are, they're insidious. Yeah. The, the addiction to benzos is, you can die from the withdrawal of benzos. Uh, I had a, a Jen Sturger on my podcast, comedian. She was also the Florida State cowgirl. Um, I had her on my podcast and she had, was taking them for five years and then just jumped off of them. Was taking them daily for five years and then just jumped off of them. And they put her in the hospital. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. She's having strokes and there were, and then she was like, oh yeah, I also take Xanax every day for five years. And they were like, uh, fucking, this is, I mean, I had a buddy, they couldn't get him into rehab. Is she okay now? Yeah, she's fine. She's fine. But uh, I had a buddy who they wouldn't let into rehab because he was on benzos. They were like, we don't fuck with benzos. Yeah. Like, you need to be detoxed off those before. So that's why I'm, I'm terrified of Xanax. 
of 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 using it. So I have it, and I will take it if I'm if it's if I'm having an anxiety attack or I I would take it to fly. I'll take it. I'm not mm-hmm. f- afraid of taking it. But and I was and as far as my drinking, I'm a big drinker. I've always been a big drinker, but it's extremely manageable. If it make that makes sense, I said to someone last night. Maybe I said to someone. If if you took like a a fucking like a regular person, like a regular citizen, just like a pedestrian, and you threw them into my life, they couldn't they wouldn't be able to handle it. They'd be like, "What the fuck?" Like they'd they'd be white knuckling those seats, going, I, "This drinking is out of control." But when you're me, it's completely doable. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does make sense. But you know, I guess the question is, uh, what? What do you what do you want out of life? And is alcohol standing between you and some of that stuff? And if you had asked me that eleven years ago, I would have said no. I just do it because I need to relax. I'm not doing anything at night anyway because I didn't think, drink during the day. I never had a DUI. I wouldn't get into fights. Never lost a job because of it. But it was keeping me emotionally stunted. It was keeping me stuck in my fear and my self-centeredness and my resentments. That's, that is the real underlying thing underneath the pimple of alcoholism is the underlying emotional issues and that getting sober and getting into support groups and stuff like that. That's what helped me deal with the underlying stuff. And I'm so much more relaxed now that I don't, even think about drinking because I don't have that. Uh, 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 I gotta, I gotta chill out. I gotta shut my brain off. Uh, yeah, that's. I think. I know. I definitely drink on air. I, I, I drink on every airplane I've ever been on. I've always drank on airplanes. I just. I think it's an underlying fear. Underlying fear of death, anxiety. Like uh, you know. I think that could be genetic too. I, I. I. I think that I know my dad. My dad has uh, is like obsessive compulsive and and di- distinctly has an anxiety disorder. And I think I got it. I think my daughter's got it. Like I feel like we we pass it around. My sisters have got it. And uh, and I and I, I was I'm writing my second book, and I just was like I don't know what I want it to be, but but I didn't, so I was like I'll just start fucking writing, and I ended up finding myself writing about anxiety and coming conquering anxiety. With this whole frontier style medicine, as David Tell would say, almost like, like you know, I'm sure there were scared cowboys, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Fuck <laughs> yeah. it, I don't have time to sit by the fire and tell you what I'm afraid of." Yeah, I'm gonna have a little whiskey and fucking just go. Yeah, you never, you never saw a guy by a campfire eating beans saying, "I feel overwhelmed." <laughs> I feel overwhelmed, guys. Is anyone staying up at night afraid of these Indians? I'm really freaked out. Like, no one could talk like that back then. <laughs> I can't imagine the amount of anxiety I'd have taking my family across country. Jesus Christ. Style. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I'm fucking like uh, just getting there and going, what are we going to do for food? Don't worry, I'll find a beaver. Like, uh, what the fuck? I go to the bank and I have to take a nap. I'm like, I got through it. <laughs> They got through it. There was five people it. at the ATM, and they got through it. Oh, I've, I had a quote from Robert Downey Jr. on my door, my first TV show. I had one of his quotes on the, on my door. They were talking about sobriety, and he fell off the wagon a number of times after this. But he's like, well, this sobriety has been good because I realized I don't need black tar heroin to watch TV with my kids. And wow. I went, I went, that's fucking next level. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what he was running from, but... I'm not running from that. I uh, 
you know, I think quite honestly, I think I got put into a spot with drinking with uh, that I was it was making me money, you know, and it still makes me money. And you go out to the clubs and you do dates and you have a few beers on stage and everyone starts drinking and then they start drinking more, beers. yeah. And then the club yeah. can't wait to have you back. Cause... Club can't wait to have you back. And then next, you know, you got a, a vodka d- guy there going, "Hey, let's talk about you getting involved with the vodka." And you're like, "Okay." And uh, and you know, I, my only concern about drinking sincerely is health. That's it. That's that is what that is my only concern. Where with with my drinking is I. I'm healthy now. Last checkup was like two months ago, three months ago. Liver's fine. Heart's great. Did a CT scan. Did everything. And then and then I get on blood pressure medicine and I'm like, well, I got no worry. And so I wish I could just go, I'm healthy right now. Let's keep it like that for the rest of my life. I'll never touch another thing. I'm going to work out hard as fuck. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to fucking get implants in my head. You know, get my hair filled. <laughs> But I don't – but that's my biggest fear about drinking. Do you, do you get – are you the kind of person that you feel a lump and then you're like – Oh, uh, I I go one way or the other. I either completely ignore it uh, or I sit and think about it. But I generally tend to ignore it. Uh, I lost vision for about 15 seconds in one of my eyes, completely blind in that eye for about 15 seconds. And so I went to a bunch of doctors and nobody could figure out what was wrong. And I eventually just got tired of it and it was like – I don't care. I don't care what what's the matter. It hasn't come back and and I haven't you know, I have a toe that's gigantic because I broke it in high school and I never went to see the doctor and so it it developed weird. I just I, I guess I'm the I'm I'm the the latter is that I just I I kind of put it out of my I put it out of my mind. And my wife's the exact opposite. Really, she yeah, she's a basket case before she has to go get a you know a breast exam or a pap smear because she's it's the waiting for the results and she never thinks about it really any other time except for except for that and I'm kind of the I had a lot of health issues as a kid and I just got used to giving myself over to the to the process I probably had fifteen operations in my on what in my life. You know, what do you, I play hockey, so probably seven of them have been hockey related. But um, I had a, a pyloric stenosis when I was two weeks old, which it, it's your small intestine opening is too small. So I was projectile vomiting everything I was eating as an infant and slowly starving. So they made that bigger. Then I had, I've had two or three hernias. I had my testicles lowered. I had lowered. Yes, uh, you know your your testicles normally descend. Make the most horrific joke. I thought only Mexicans did that. Lower their (laughs) testicles. I had to get a pickup truck. That was a little run down. Testicles lowered. I had lights put on them. They naturally descend. I I I I put twenty twos on mine. Wait, how did you get your testicles low? That's such an interesting Dude, thing. it was a brutal, brutal surgery. It was. But they normally, they just descend when you're a kid between like, you know, before you hit puberty. And I, I don't know why, but mine didn't descend normally. So it's fairly common. They, I had a friend who had this. Yes. They, yep. they put a bungee cord into your nut. And attach it. They put a cast on your leg, and then the bungee cord attaches to the stiff cast, so it's just being pulled at for a couple of weeks, and you're in bed. And it, you know, I was 11, so it, 
you couldn't be more embarrassed. You yeah. couldn't be more horrified. Oh. And so I had to have that done on both sides. Um, on yeah, both the, sides. the hernias um, had a lump removed from my neck, tonsillectomy, couple of shoulder surgeries, a plate in my ankle from from so hockey. You're not. You're. You're. Uh, I mean, this this is going to sound really. You're, this is going to be explained to you why uh, people look at me and go, "You must be a meathead, right?" Um, but you are not. You, you are a very intellectual dude. You are a very sensitive. I, when I think of you in comedy wise, you're not the guy that's like, "You ever put your dick in your wife's mouth while she's sleeping?" <laughs> that's one of my bits. But, um, but you're because you you have you're uh, and I would say intellectual. I would say alternative comic, but I but I don't really believe in those categories. But you're a man. You're you're you play hockey. You're not, you're like a I'm, a di- I'm a dichotomy. I have an extremely feminine side, and I have a very masculine side. I make furniture. I woodwork. I play hockey. I get in fights sometimes. Uh, I'm a bit of a uh, a walking contradiction, but I think a lot of people are. You know, I, I think a I lot think, of people. I are. think I distinctly am, but I don't think I, I don't ever show that to people. Wait, so wait, start. Can I not to like Mark Marin you, but like so wait. You started comedy in Chicago? In Chicago in 87. In 87. Zanies? Uh, Zanies was one of the places. Yeah, I mostly started doing open mics, and then that was one of the one of the first places that I started getting work at. There were 16 full-time clubs in Chicago when I started. 16. Really? Bert. You, you didn't fucking, even... You could just stay in Chicago. You could stay in Chicago. Until you were headlining, you could stay in Chicago for half to three quarters of the year if if those clubs liked you and gave you opening and feature work. It was fantastic. Who was... was I'm, I'm trying to think. Who was... Who was starting with you? Um, my wife. Uh, Bill Leff. Uh, Stephen Leo. Uh, Bob Odenkirk. Um... Uh, Jimmy Pardo, uh, oh. Jimmy Dore, uh, Mike Schmidt was out here then. Um, Mike Siegel, um, I know Mike Siegel, e- Emo Phillips, Judy Tenuta. Those were kind of all the people that were. Those were some of the people who were established then. I know I'm forgetting a ton of uh, of other people that were that were established. So that was your scene starting out. That was that was my scene. And then yeah. when did you move to LA? And a lot of improv people too who also crossed over and were doing I was I was studying at, at Second City. Um so there at that point it was Corral, Colbert, um uh, Mike Myers, Bonnie Hunt, Chris Farley. Bonnie Hunt's um, funny. Yeah, a lot of those people. I wasn't a paid Second City performer. I went through their training program which yeah. where you pay for, to do it, but um, so it was. It was a great heyday of uh, of comedy um, back back then. Seeing a lot of people come up and really go on to do Sweet. great things. So, the, so then, how long were you in Chicago before you moved out to LA? Uh, Ninety four. Uh, so seven years. Okay. And I've been out here now twenty one years. So you come out here in ninety four. Yeah. That is like that. That to me, I love. I love. It was all horses, Bert. <laughs> What was I'm trying to think? I'm trying to think of who was working in '94. I mean, I'm thinking Jim well, Schubert's at the Comedy Store. Well, uh, I am almost immediately got a job writing marketing copy for the WB, and so a lot of the people whose paths I crossed with then came through there writing more, uh, marketing copy. Uh, Doug Benson, Andy Kindler, uh, Alex Reed. Um, uh, Chris Henshey was there. That's who one of the people I Chris replaced. Henchy. 
Yeah. Who's Henchy? Married to Brooke Shields. Uh, yeah. Okay. Funny yeah. or Die. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's why I'm. I was thinking of. Uh, I was. I was. You know who I was thinking of? I know you know him. He was married to. I think he is married to Tess. Uh, bald dude, Chris. Chris. He writes all the roasts at Comedy Central. Chris. Maybe I'm saying the wrong name. Could be saying the wrong name. <laughs> dude, I'm so on the fringes now of the comedy scene because I. I I used to go to the UCB all the time and do stand-up, um, and I really haven't in in quite a while. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, Patton was, I think, out here shortly after that, like 96. He started, um, and the, the alternative scene was, was pretty pretty much in gear. I remember Doug Benson going, you got to come see these buddies of mine. Um, they called themselves Tenacious D, and so there was like... I don't know, maybe 20 of us in the audience. And I was like, this is the funniest fucking thing I have ever seen. I love moments like that when you can look back 20 years later and go, wow, I was, what a privileged front row seat I had for seeing somebody really talented before anybody else could could uh, see. I have, I, I, I've, I've found out that people don't like when you tell stories about doing coke with them in the fucking early, in the late 90s. But I have a, a guy... I was going to say, I'll show you a picture of him. Yeah. But uh, I used to party with a lot of the black comics in New York. Yeah. And I had a few nights where it was the, – the, no one knew who these people were at all, including myself. Just some guy that was a comic that I thought was funny. And then we end up at – you know back at my place. I lived right across the street from the cellar. So mm-hmm. we'd always end up back at my place and just partying with this guy and laughing hysterically. And now he's one of the biggest – movie stars in the oh, country wow. you just, but you just go like you look back and you're like fuck and i'm sure he wouldn't remember me but mm. you're like fuck those were amazing like i love i i heard the term salad days yeah i love that term because i, I love those times in life i was at, i used to grow weed in uh in chicago and it was around the the time when uh it was the just say no and the weed market dried up and i was like well i just turned pro doing stand-up my day's free <laughs> Nintendo just came out. Let's grow weed. And uh, and so I always had weed on me, and I was at an audition in this one morning. And it's like 10 in the morning, and there's this fidgety guy going up to everybody going, you guys got any weed? You guys got any weed? And he comes up to me, and I go, yeah, I actually have some weed, but uh, – you know, I, I don't feel like getting high, but if you want to, after we're done auditioning, I'll, you know, go get you high in my car. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we go down and he's smoking the joint like like he just got out of prison. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great analogy. And, and, uh, and I just remember thinking, this poor guy, man, he's got some type of demon inside of him. And uh, like two years later, I'm like... That guy made the main stage at Second City from the training program. What's that guy's name? Chris Farley. Boy, this guy must be really funny. Holy shit. And so when his whole addiction thing came to light, I always think back to that moment. And I think, what a, what a shame that such a talented guy that his addiction brought him down. But I guess I feel kind of creepy that I have a fond memory of seeing somebody in their sickness no, I, you know what? It's nostalgic in a weird, sad way. There is there is a moment when you see someone at their low, or when you see, when you're like, oh, this isn't fun for them. Right. I wasn't happy to see him that way, but I, fe- I felt like almost like 
privileged that I that I got to share a one on one moment with somebody who was great. I yeah. wish it would have been a different circumstance. Yeah. But I feel privileged that I got to experience a one on one moment with with somebody who was legendary. He was distinctly legendary. I remember when he died, I was just I remember where I was when I found out he died. I was like, bah fucking heartbroken because he was you know i don't know i've always been attracted to those kind of heroes like the john belushi's the chris farley's the the guys who die sam kennison even though he didn't you know he died technically in a car accident but like the the tragic figures i don't know you know i respect the mickey mantles who could play hungover or the babe Ruth who could play hungover more than i do the fucking uh lou gehrig's who who were just good old wholesome positive energy yeah like i i I don't know what it's about, what it says about me, but I think I think comics are always more drawn to somebody who's got demons. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I almost don't trust you on stage. Like, no, I'm not. I'm gonna I'm gonna say. I'm I know. Gonna, I know who you're gonna say. Say it first, and I'll say it. Brian Regan. Oh no, no, I was gonna say okay. Dane, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought you were gonna talk about somebody who's who just seemingly doesn't have a dark side. No, no, no. Uh, Dane does have a dark side, but I okay. but like when I first met him. And we went to a party, and I was like, you want a beer? And he's like, no, I don't drink. And I was like, at all? He's like, no. I go, weed? He's like, no, no, I don't. I don't ca- I'll don't. have like a Coke. Do they have Coke here? Yeah, I, I market. Like, That's my addiction. Yeah. And I, was, <laughs> I was like, interesting. I was like, that I didn't. It was so weird to me. But then Dane definitely has, you know, demons. But I used to be the kind of guy that I didn't trust people that didn't. Comics that weren't broken a little bit. Yeah. They were all put together too nice. I was like, Phew. "You're hiding something." What am I? You or know? you're not funny. But yep. Brian Regan's a genius. But I'm also told that he does have a you know a, a dark side like everybody. He beats his wife. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Obviously, Brian Regan. Joking. Speaking but. speaking of terrible uh, speaking of jokes about terrible subjects, I have a joke that that I have to share with you that never got a laugh on stage, probably rightly so, but. Uh, did you know that Miles Davis used to uh, hit his wife? Did you know? It's no. it's true. No. Uh, but it was to a really difficult time signature. <laughs> that would get such silence. And the comic in me was like, that's a fucking beautifully crafted joke. How yeah. do you not at least give me a chuckle yeah. for that joke? But. Uh, sorry for quoting myself there, but I, whenever I, I, the subject of that comes up, I feel compelled to, to share that with other comics because there are certain jokes that, that only other comics really truly find funny. I find, I find myself drawn to the comics where the joke – like I remember Howard Kramer uh, – I think I was saying his last name right, Kramer. Mm-hmm. I, I remember he, had a, he did an impression of, um, of uh, – Who's who's the guy that got drunk on, on uh, E uh, Pat O'Neill Pat? Remember the oh Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien. He did an impression of Pat O'Brien that wasn't even that good of an impression. Yeah, but it was so. Fu- I didn't even tell anyone who he was doing an impression of. Yeah. You had to know who he was, and, but it was so funny, but it was so obscure. And all I remember him just like leaving. A, it was he was leaving a message, and he was doing Pat O'Brien, but he was like talking about killing Ahmad Rashad. And I was just I was on the floor laughing. Half the crowd didn't get it because he, he didn't like he wasn't gonna force he wasn't gonna hand feed it to them. He's so fucking funny. He really my is. my favorite joke he does is he said I was at Starbucks and I you know they fill your coffee up a little bit too high and so you want to pour it out to make 
room for the cream, and so I'm pouring it out in the trash can. And as luck would happen, a teenage girl had deposited her baby uh, in the trash can. <laughs> Right around that time when all those pro- girls at prom yeah. were like dumping their, you know, dumping their babies off. Well, I was obsessed with him because I was I used to watch Austin stories, Austin stories. Yeah, in college it was on MTV and you'd see yeah. it you'd be like, oh yeah, and it was like, and I liked it because I played frisbee golf and I played frisbee golf. I was like, oh, these are my people. And then I came out here and I saw him one night and I was like, shut the fuck up. And then I thought, I'm sure I geeked out on him and he was like, hey, his but. stuff about his brother is so funny. I haven't it, seen him do stand up in a long time. Uh, so wait, so when you come out here, is the alternative comedy scene? Yeah, is it's it just it had just been born about a year or two before I came out here. Now, now, who is not in the alternative comedy scene? Without without trying to make it sound, but like I'm trying to think of who are the other comics? Like because in '95, I mean, like, all I can think of the only comics that are Still here. Well, I don't consider myself a part of the uh, alternative comedy scene. I suppose, at least for a decade, I wasn't. And then maybe, you know, once I started um, doing my Republican character and performing at the UCB, then I felt like I was maybe more of a part of it. But no, I felt completely on the outside of that. But you're of that general. I, I, I believe they're actually, I personally look at it as there is no necessarily alternative comedy scene. It's just a generation of comics that came through at a certain time, just but a different sensibility. Yes, a new wave. Yeah. Uh, I find yeah. when I find now when like younger comics say, "Well, I'm thinking about being an alt comic," I just go, "Well, no, I no, think just be a missing, comic." Yeah, I think you're missing the point of comedy. There's no real like I find Patton Oswalt exactly as funny as I find Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. There's no difference in the way I laugh. I don't laugh at Patton like no, oh, oh. and right. Joe like yeah. You know, like it's right. fucking the same laugh. I only have one laugh. Yeah. And so, but I know that there was this like push because I know I was in it in New York. I knew there was a difference. Like the Jim Nortons and the Nick DiPaolos and the Patrice O'Neills and the David Tells were the club comics. And then you had like, then you had like Collective Unconscious, Surf Reality, Luna, um, all these like different bars where you'd see the Marins and and like I remember the state. Do you remember the state? Mm-hmm. I remember those guys. Would you see them all down there? Michael Showalter. Well, Michael Showalter read this uh, breakup poem. Oh God, it was so fucking funny. It was a it was a breakup letter he wrote to his girlfriend in high school, and uh, and it was very clear that he had not actually written it in high school, <laughs> but it was so fucking funny. I I the alternative vibe was such a needed shot in the arm and some of it was certainly really badly executed and pretentious and self-indulgent but a comedy needed uh, a house cleaning it needed to it just everybody had become so much that letterman above it all kind of sarcastic um attitude which letterman is fucking brilliant at but everybody was copying him and it was just gotten it had just gotten to be too much what's well, interesting to me that you're not doing Stand up as much, but you know, I believe that the that podcasting has changed the dialogue between stand ups and audiences. Absolutely. Are you doing live shows with your? Anything? I am, and I love them. I love it, and I'm going to speak at colleges on uh, pretty heavy subjects, mental illness and sexual trauma, and stuff that I've dealt with in my in my past, and, and things I've learned from from doing the podcast. I was invited to speak at uh, Johns Hopkins uh, a couple of weeks ago, and was like. Are you sure you're asking the right guy? 
I was the guy that made chicken and showed Ali Sheedy movies. Are you making more money as a speaker than you would have as a comic? No. <laughs> no. It's, it's, it, it, there is almost no money yet in yeah. the speaking, but it's not why I'm it's, – it's very fulfilling to do it. I hope it at some point brings in you – know, I would love to be a speaker at a college as opposed to doing stand-up. I hate oh, doing stand-up Oh, it's the worst. It is soul-crushing doing stand-up at, at colleges. Oh. And this gig, if I had had to be doing it for laughs, would have been horrifying because it was. Do you find there yourself was, there was, looking for laughs, though? No, not no. at all. Um, I'd say maybe I intend to maybe get three laughs in forty-five minutes. But you do, you know? but you, but like, because I, I can't shut off whatever made me a comic. Yeah, like whatever, whatever draw I had to this profession, I can't shut it off. Even when, like, even like, just like I find myself wanting to get a chuckle. In like the smallest thing, and I th- feel like it's it's in my DNA. It's it's not that I resist the temptation to do it. If I think it's something funny, I'll say it. But I'm so focused on the serious stuff that I want to say that I'm just trying to get all of that crammed into 45 minutes. Yeah. So it's got to be something really, you know. Like the, the I open with a joke. I say. Uh, you know, I'm a, a recovering uh, alcoholic and addict, a uh, incest survivor, and I have what my psychiatrist calls treatment-resistant depression due to childhood adversity, which is not easy to fit onto a business card. <laughs> you know, so uh, there's two or three jokes kind of peppered through the the thing uh, or, around that. And I, I'm not opposed to putting more laughs in there, but yeah. it's but that's not what it's about. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice to not have the pressure of feeling like I got to get more jokes per minute. I got to get a big laugh here to to get off on stage. Well, it's it's also the interesting thing is the transition. Your career is going from TV host to comic to to the mental health happy hour. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like what was the like somebody's got the net. Mine is the mental illness happy hour, yeah. but somebody has that name now. Are you serious? Somebody started a podcast, and I emailed them and said, "Are you aware that I have a podcast called the Metal Illness?" They're like, "Yeah, we think it'll be a great, you know, way for us to promote each other's." And I was like, "Well, no, I have a built-in following, and sometimes people mispronounce the name, and you're going to get people coming to your podcast thinking they're looking for mine." And what's their podcast like? I haven't listened to it, Ugh. but I said, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I really, I think we're both trying to do something. Good, but I just ask you out of respect for the fact that I built this following to consider changing a different name, and I'd be happy to plug your podcast, maybe even have you on as a guest, and never heard from them again. Oh, well, Which, fuck them. They're just trying to do what they did with uh, the taco truck, Kogi taco mm-hmm. truck. Then yeah. all, so all of a sudden there was Kogi, and like the same logo. How do you, li- how do you live yourself with yourself when you, at least when you do that intentionally? Oh, I, Paul, how... Are you, people like me and you will never wrap our heads around that. I cannot understand someone who just simply lives their lives without any fucking ideas other than borrowing the ones that are out there. Yeah. I, I literally look at them like I feel sad for them. And I and and you just like I don't get it. I like I the guys in New York who opened up a oh, famous Ray's pizza. What the fuck, man? Don't you have other ideas? Is that your only idea is to just hope that it gets confused with the other famous race pizza? Right. Like, that's the fucking... Uh, so, you, I'm dying to talk. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast mm-hmm. in general. Because I want to... I think one of the cool things about 
this art form is that is sharing it with other people that are obsessed with it like I am. Like I'm obsessed with podcasts. I've been obsessed with podcasts since day one. The second, first, it's the greatest art form. Yeah. It's it it. People that don't that aren't hip to podcasts, they don't know that they're. This is every bit as big as the advent of radio or television, in terms of content. You know, it may not be that groundbreaking in terms of its system of delivery, but in terms of its democracy and its freedom, it's it's mind blowing. I mean, I'm I'm. I'm someone who I love when people pull me aside and go, have you heard of this podcast? What are, you, what are some of your favorites? Uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. It's the best. He's got a new one that came out which, yesterday. Which which are your favorite series? Uh, I was really obsessed with the Genghis Khan. Dude, I listened to every one of that. He's such a good storyteller. I used to, yes. I used to, um, I, and this, I said this, I, I didn't realize it sounded like an insult, but I said this on someone's podcast. I used to listen to it when I slept because I liked him dream weaving for me. Mm-hmm. So I would listen to the podcast and I'd let it play in a pillow next to me and I would then dream about what he was talking about in the oh, podcast. Oh, that's awesome. I dreamed that I was with Bill Burr and we were hunting doves on the back of a fucking <laughs> – and, and, and Bill was teaching me how to hunt doves. He was saying, all four, Bert, all four legs got to be in the air before you shoot the arrow. All four fucking legs. And I'm going – Bill, I don't get it. Well, just watch. And he's just and and I'm like, oh, okay. It's about timing. Okay, that's when you're. And I I tell that to someone, and they go, you know, Genghis Khan had red hair, and they could shoot a dove off the back of their horse with the arrow. I go, that was in my fucking dream. Like my dreams. I'm I'm obsessed with dreaming. God damn it, Bert, stop talking about yourself. I'm obsessed with dreaming. I want to do a dream weaving podcast where I take people. I would. I mean, I want to do like three different other podcasts too. But like, I want to take it where I go. All right. Let's get ready for bed. And you, you just put it on right before you go to sleep. And I do re- relaxation, a little bit of meditation. I bring in a – every week I bring in like a guest Zen Buddhist monk who relaxes you, takes you down, puts you to sleep. And then shh, and then it's silent for like five minutes. And then I'm like, all right, we're in. Now we're going to need guns and lots of them. <laughs> and I literally weave a dream for you where we go on an amazing adventure together and then everyone shares in that in their subconscious and their own little wow. versions of it. I'm, I, I, I dream hardcore. I, I, I'm not going to. Um, I, I feel like I can open up with you about everything. So, but I, and I almost told you about this dream I had, but I was like, fucking not. It's not a bad <laughs> idea. So, um, but, so what, what is the move from then, from TV host who's, who is... I'm going to say this meaning it in a positive way, but as a disconnected comic, you are smiling. You're happy. Mm-hmm. It, let's get, you know, that's you. Let's make some food. Let's have a few laughs. Let's have a fucking, you know, good time. Let's go back to the movie. Let's do this. And then it, to it, where you are it, today, which is massively fucking connected. The, well, the it was a front, the smiling guy on the, I can't tell you how many times they gave me the note, smile. Paul, smile. Can we do another take? But Paul, can you smile? Uh, I was so depressed for so much of that, and as soon as I would get home, I would have to, I would have to drink. Um, I would, you know, when we would be on the road shooting, I would become so exhausted by having to plaster a smile on my face all day when I was depressed that when I would come home at six o'clock from shooting, crash on the hotel bed, I would sleep until six o'clock the next morning when I had to get up and do it again because it took that much, really, that much out of me, even when I was sober. Really? Even when I was sober because it's, I. I I have some social anxiety. I can connect under cer- certain circumstances, but 
I have a, a finite amount of social energy, and when it's depleted, um, it's it's exhausting for That's me. One of the most brilliant things I've heard: a finite amount of social energy. Because I think sometimes people don't look in terms of that, and they don't. My wife has a my wife has a finite amount of social energy, and when she has reached past that limit, she's not enjoyable to be around, and she is just. She needs her alone time. She shuts down. She shuts down, and it, that's interesting. I have an infinite amount of social energy. I think I, I have the opposite. You, you, you feed, and that, that's what I've heard is there's two different types. There's people who are fed by social situation, there, and there are people who um, may have a period. They're either instantly drained by it, or there's a period of being fed by it, and then it begins to, to – they feel drained by it, and I – I would be the latter. Yeah, um, the, uh, but I also have I also have social anxiety for, and I think I I, th- I think I really had it growing up, and I think in a weird way I've I've redirected it to drawing off of people somewhat. I don't mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. I'm a fucking nightmare. I also <laughs> think I'm fucking manic depressive. I think I, I really go through these these fucking bouts of mania. Do you I, do you take any meds? No. Well, the fact that you're that you're Drinking consistently would make it almost futile to take. Um, the, well, one of the reasons. I like this diagnosis. Keep going. <laughs> the the one of the reasons. One of the things that got me sober was my psychiatrist refused to treat me anymore if I didn't quit drinking to give the meds a chance, and I couldn't. And he said, "Well, then I can't. I can't continue treating you because I'm wasting your money." And that's when I realized I need to give this a shot because I'm gonna. I'm gonna kill myself if I don't. If I don't find out what it's like to feel happy and connected on a regular basis, yeah, you know. But yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm not missing out on happiness at all. I, th- I definitely connect with happiness. My problem is I I will go through um, mania spells where I'm hyper creative, hyper uh, energetic, and then and I, I can't shut it off. I, I I did I had one, and anyone on my crew that's listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. We had a day off, and I, I was – they call it firing hot. I was firing real hot, and I was like – and I knew. And I said to my buddy Paul – my buddy Paul Baldwin is – I said to him, I said, uh, this is going to rebound bad. I was like, I know I can't shut this off, and everyone enjoys it. Everyone's fucking laughing their ass off. Everyone's having a great time, including me. And I go, when this shuts off, it's going to be bad. It was. I mean, I got physically ill. I got physically ill, and I threw up in our bathroom. And I, I mean, it. I hung over. It was. I was. It was. It was an emotional hangover, though. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, I was shaking and chills for a day. And my wife's like, "What happened to you?" I felt like saying, "I had too good of a time. I had too good of a time, and I've borrowed way too many endorphins and and dopamine, and now I'm trying to recollect them." The tax man showed up. And, um, That's the hardest thing for people who who have bipolar to to get treated is because the mania is so great. I've experienced mania. I've experienced mostly hypomania, um, which is a more subtle form of of mania. I've never had the thing where I don't want to sleep. Um, you know, where I'm you know almost like out of touch with reality, but. You know, at one when domain names were first becoming available and they were seventy bucks a pop. I was in a period of mania and or hypomania and decided that 
this was going to be how I was going to secure my financial future. And I bought 35, went into debt, bought $35,000 worth of domain names, 99.9% of which were useless. Uh, let me give you an idea. One of the domain names, fucking oldpeoplefucking.net. Oldpeoplefucking.net. .net. .com was gone? No, I got .com, but I, I was like, ah, that's a good name. Oh, Somebody's going to want that .net. .net. They're going to try to, you know, they're going to try to get around on me, so. Oh, Paul, that's so fucking great. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah, when I would collect things, I would go crazy with it and a lot of that was i think me distracting myself from wanting to look at the trauma that i experienced as a kid because on the other side of processing that i don't collect obsessively at all really at all it completely disappeared that's so fascinating yeah so we what what it might come back at some point but i'm i'm much more aware of it and and if i find myself getting into that space where i just want to you know obsessively collect things um i you know, try to watch myself. Now, I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm not this kind of interviewer, so I don't, I wouldn't, um, but I wouldn't normally ask, but I'm, I'm going to ask only because you've said it a couple times. I'm sure someone's asking, but like, what was the trauma you experienced as a kid? And you don't have to tell me because I'm uncomfortable no, asking about it. No, no, no. I've, I've, I've shared it with, um, I was covertly uh, sexually abused by my mom. Uh, when you say covertly sexually abused, it wasn't an outright sexual act, but it was stuff that was sexualizing that were personal boundaries were crossed. You know, she, there were, there was just a lot of inappropriate, inappropriate shit that I just buried, uh, not the memory of it, but I buried how it made me feel. And I buried, I didn't give weight to it. And when I finally did give weight to it, Three years ago, it was on your podcast, correct? Uh, yes, yeah. it, it it kind of started to to come out on the podcast. I started going, well, maybe this is more important than I thought it was. And then when I finally the you know the real dam broke, I went to my wife and I and I broke down and I said she tricked me, she used me. I was a good boy and I didn't deserve it. And I started sobbing. And my wife said, "I've been waiting twenty years for you to say this," because my wife knew right away that my mom was incestuous. She could see the vibe. She could see how she touched me, how she looked at me, how she drank me in, how she treated me like a spouse. And one of the things I stress on the podcast is that stuff is every bit as damaging as a kid who's who was jerked off by a, a parent or because the, the thing they both share in common is they give the kid the message that you don't matter. And I now am rewriting in my brain how I feel about myself and I do feel that I that I do matter but it's been a decade of consistent work to get to that place to process that trauma and the good news is the addictions are a lot more at bay and I'm able to be more present I'm more relaxed Um, the social anxiety is a little bit less than it used to be Uh, just across the board, all kinds of things. I could give you more examples. You know, she took my temperature rectally till I was eight years old, which I just remember feeling tricked by her and saying, why are we still doing it this way? And, you know, I can give you another half dozen or a dozen examples. Yeah. Okay. Can my wife be on your podcast? Pardon me? Can my wife be on your podcast? Absolutely. Because my wife, I, I, I don't, my wife goes to therapy every week. 
loves therapy. She got me into therapy, and then I fucking mm. I'm too broken to take it. I was like, well, this isn't working. Mm. I'm more attractive than my therapist. Of course, she's gonna keep me fucking unhealthy. She wants to see me. I'm eye candy. How can she not want to fuck me? Like that's in my head. I was like, that's the way the world works. The, she's got a mortgage. As long as she has a mortgage, I'm gonna have fucking problems. And so. But my wife is very fucking, but she's gone through a lot of. Has she experienced? A- I wouldn't, I'm, I wouldn't begin to assume anything about what my wife it has been through. However, uh, her mom has disowned her four times. Mm. Like disowned her, like you're dead to me. Burned wow. all your shit. Wow. Like four times. Mom disappeared like. I mean, it's all shit that uh, she, my, my, she, but my wife's a survivor. She's a redneck. Uh, did you meet her? I did, just yeah, briefly when we were coming. A survivor from that kind of stuff, you mean? Yeah. The, and, the abandoning, abusive parent. Yeah, and, and, and it happened a number of times, and she, I mean, she, when, I, when we first started dating, um, we're like maybe fourth date, and we're making out on her couch, uh, and she stopped me. She's like, uh, there's... Something I need to tell you. And in my head, I thought we were going into the bedroom the next second. But she stopped me and says, there's something I need to tell you. I was like, oh, this bitch has herpes. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's how this conversation starts right now. And she said, I have a lot of drama. I have a lot of issues in my life you know, that I'm still working through. And I was like, I, I'm like, how does this apply to me? Like, what are we talking about? She's like, oh, you know, I've, I've got debt. I've got like 25 grand in debt. I, I have a complicated relationship with my mom and, and I'm, all this stuff i'm like what the fuck like this is how what does uh, it have to do with me orgasming exactly or is, are they gonna be in the bedroom but it's, i understand exactly what she's saying now yes and and when she said it i did not i was like none of this applies to me because that's how the fucking sensitive i am but she is true and 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 you know it's interesting now uh, there's i should not talk about any of this but Maybe I'll set you up with my wife and let my because my wife's like you. Mm-hmm. She owns it. Fucking she doesn't. She, she doesn't, sounds like she'd be a great. Uh, she sounds really in touch with that shit with your mom. I'll talk to you about that okay. after the podcast. Okay, because I think there's some stuff like that of just just inappropriateness. It's there's so much, and especially um, moms doing that stuff to kids and. I, I apologize to any of the regular listeners to my podcast who've been listening to me go on other people's podcasts because I talk about this stuff a ton and I kind of tend to repeat these same things that I talk about. But I feel like it's really important because covert sexual abuse is super, super common and people don't realize it. And so they ignore what their body is telling them. Their body is saying, this parent doesn't feel safe. I don't like hugging you. I feel drained when I'm in the room with you. I can't wait to get away from you. But I, that must mean that I'm just a terrible uh, son or daughter. I feel drained when I'm in a room with you is fascinating. Yeah. that's. I finally honored how I felt around my mom, which was drained, grossed out, wanted to cover my genitals. And that was the beginning of me. I hate the word honoring, but I don't know any other word to describe it. Honoring what I felt, and that led me to giving weight to what I had gone through and allowed me to to begin to process that and feel uh, alive again. But I also – I got to take meds. I got to exercise. I got to do all this. Exercise is really important. It's huge. It's huge. It's really important just in saying, oh, I'm on the right path in life. 
Um, I yeah, the, well, the, you know, and I say that I I hope that some of your fans come and listen to this, but I I really hope that the people that listen to my podcast listen to you and go, I need to check out this podcast because your podcast is very helpful. I didn't understand anxiety uh, at all, at all, at all. I, there's no point about this. I didn't understand it. Uh, I didn't understand how it worked and what it was. And I had anxiety all growing up, crippling anxiety. All growing up, I didn't know what it was. I thought I was just broken. I had a couple times I smoked marijuana and, oh, and had not the good panic for anxiety. Attack. And yeah. I fucking I've had one of those. It was awful. Oh, it's the it's the worst experience in my life, and it happened twice to me. And I just I wasn't respecting of how powerful marijuana was. And I was a kid. I was fucking fourteen years old and just smoked. You're away. convinced you're going to die in the next five seconds. Convinced. 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 Is the perfect fucking word you can't understand why you wouldn't die in the next five minutes i couldn't remember how to breathe i couldn't remember i i fucking both times i was like this is not what i said and i stayed away from marijuana i would say for the rest of high school into college because of those that last one at cayman's house i fucking got high and i couldn't handle it we got high on the roof and the storm was coming in and Spencer and Sal seemed fine, and Cayman seemed fine, and all of a sudden, I started saying snossages in my head over and over and over <laughs> again, and I couldn't stop saying snossages, and I was like, why can't my brain stop saying snossages? And then I was like, I don't feel right. And so, and so, uh, but I hope that people hear you on this and then go explore your podcast. I would and, love that. And go, and go, and, and my whole thing is, and I, I believe this, I'm not really emotionally uh, honest with things um obviously uh, there are things that i'm denying about myself i don't really give a fuck uh, right now i'm in a place where i'm like i'm very happy i got it on lock right now i'm just dealing with anxiety because i think anxiety deals a lot with it i had a really massive panic attack scuba diving recently uh, recently i've had two massive anxiety attacks i had one scuba diving as well really yeah just like claustrophobia like oh my god i'm 50 feet down i can't go up right now which essentially means i'm trapped that's Oh, that's the feeling. I can't just go up right now. I'm stuck here yeah. forever. Oh, and then and and uh, I'm sure you're like me is I'm a talker and so my brain's constantly going, but when I don't have anyone to put that out to and I'm the only recipient of these thoughts and all I'm hearing is <sighs> just me breathing and I was spinning out. And uh and I got done that day and I think I sat up on the boat with a beer and I went I'm going to fucking figure this shit out. I was like, I, I talked to you. Do you know Duncan Trussell? Uh, I know of him. Never met him. Oh. I mean, I, I don't know. You and him need to connect. He is. I invited him to, to come on the podcast, and I, I, from what I understand, he doesn't like the title of my podcast. He doesn't like the word mental illness, and so he he's, took he's, a pass. He is, an, in, he is a... Th- He's a thought-provoking guy. You yes. and him. And by, I've listened to a couple episodes of his podcast, and it's it's fantastic. He's I, he's one of I would say one of my closest friends that I don't talk to enough. Mm-hmm. But I'm also 42. That's not yeah. going to fucking happen. I, I hope he changes his mind because I would love to have him come on. Yeah, he's, you and Duncan could fucking really talk about shit. Like he's smart as fuck, and you're smart as fuck. But like he uh, he told me he came. I did his podcast, and he said, you know, next time you have an anxiety attack, like you're going through one. Because I get them at night. I'll have one in Africa. I'll definitely have one in Africa. Um, he's like, talk about it. Do a podcast. Talk about it. Solo podcast. Talk mm-hmm. about it. And I was like, oh, maybe I will. Maybe that'll help me get out of it. But but your podcast, 
and I'm going back to this, I hope people listen to this and go, well, shit, I do deal with some shit. I was fucked up as a kid. Some things I'm not really comfortable with. Maybe I'll listen to Paul's and, and, and just kind of listen. It's a lot of times listening. And especially if you feel like something is missing in your life that you can't put your finger on, come listen to the podcast. What's Now, What what is what is your... I always... I forget which one I listened to, but I thought, oh, this is getting good. And then I thought to myself, do you have some sort of uh, almost like not sadistic, but like a creepy reaction when you know you're getting something good, but it's also mining something really bad out of somebody? Uh, yes and no. I, I think because of the way that I I help pull stuff out of people isn't to – it's ultimately helpful to them and to the listeners, so I don't feel bad about it. But when they're crying and the producer in me is going, yes, this is great. Yes, I feel I feel like a terrible person, but I know I'm not a terrible person. I know that's just the producer in me who has to be there to keep the podcast going, who has to think about the quality of the show. But the interviewer, me, is thinking, I'm sorry that this person is in pain, but I'm glad it's coming up and out because it's healthy for them. But yeah, there can be a real dichotomy between what I experience when somebody's having a cathartic and f- really painful moment on the on the podcast. What are your top... What are your top favorite podcasts? I know I've I've read somewhere uh, of th- I think of three of them, but like, what are your like episodes like, of mine or of episodes other episodes of yours? Like, because I I'll say I'll do my favorite episode I've ever done with anyone is probably Bill Burr, just because Bill got done, and I didn't think it was that good when we did it. When we got done, Bill goes, you know, I've never talked about a lot of that shit, man. I really had a good time doing your podcast. He's like, you need to join our network, and I was like, oh, okay. And like Bill was like, and I was like, wow, I guess I did a pretty good podcast. Um, that's one of my favorite ones. I've, I'll have to I, check it out. I love Bill. Bill's amazing, amazing. Big hockey fan too. Yeah, well, we, yeah. We, we, have you ever come and skated with us? No, I've grew up in Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can I can surf. Doesn't stop Bill. <laughs> no, he's but Bill's grew up in Boston. He can skate. Oh, he can't skate. <laughs> no, Bill can. Bill can skate. Bill gets around. Bill gets around. <laughs> I was talking he's, to someone about creating a. Um, a hockey team and then doing a documentary just like HBO does where they follow the Flyers in the preseason. <laughs> oh, but doing a documentary of these comedians but with with what's his name's voice and it's just done like, like the Liam Shriver. Yeah, yeah. Liam Shriver. This is my wife's dad. Yeah. Um, and, and it's done with that voice and it's done in earnest but it's our nightmare lives. That's fantastic. After his podcast yeah. Bert put on the drove over to the rink to meet the guy. Where the fuck have you been? I had yeah. a podcast. Fuck your podcast. Um, but like Bill Burr is one of my favorite ones. All, the one where Joey Diaz gave my dad marijuana on accident easily one of the tops. I mean, yeah. I, I did one with the dominatrix that I didn't expect to be received as well and it went through the fucking roof. It was like, and I was like, wow, that must have been, I'll go re-listen to it. So those are mine where I'd go, oh, if you're just coming to my podcast, yeah. check those out. You'll like them. And then Find some more you like. What about you? What What would you say? It depends on what the person's looking for. Uh, Teresa, the episode with Teresa Strasser is a great one. Um, you know what you can do is you can go to the search box on our site and you can type in uh, oh, favorite shut. episodes. Yeah. And then there's a list from 2011, 2012, 
2013 and 2014. So you can see what the top 10 episodes as voted by listeners are for each year. I thought you were going to say you could go into the search and type in alcoholism and all those oh, guys. Yeah, yeah that, that would come up. And then people who have talked about alcoholism on their episodes, those, those will uh, come up. Um, the top episode from uh, the first year was Teresa Strasser. Uh, which one's that? Uh, she was a, a co-host with Adam Carolla on, yeah. on his show. And hers is great. Hers is, and she's a listener to this show, so she knew. Um, she just knows the vibe of the show, and she went really deep, really deep. Um, Maria Bamford is a great episode. Oh my god, I haven't listened. To, I can't believe I haven't listened to that one. Uh, Lauren Ashley Bishop is a great episode. Um, and th- these are pretty. Uh, there are some episodes that are just so heavy and then there's others that are kind of light and fun um the episode i did the first episode with dr jessica zucker is the one where i kind of confronted the truth about being sexually abused um that's kind of a heavy one um there are two that are almost cinematic in their scope are one with Christine Keys, who is a – she was a little girl in the Warsaw Ghetto during the Holocaust. And she, her memories of it are all about her relationship with her mom. She was never in a concentration camp, but her mom had to just be a survivor to keep them alive from moving place to place. And that's a fantastic episode because it's really – the Holocaust is the backdrop for this complicated relationship she had with her mom. And she talks about it very eloquently. And the other really cinematic episode is with a woman named Nadare uh, Fenoyan. And oh, she's the Iranian the chick? Iranian woman who was being chased, <clears throat> trying to be captured by Khomeini uh, in the, in the 80s when they came to power. And... Um, she was a Marxist, and they captured her husband and executed him, and she fled six months pregnant with their child. And that's kind of where her story begins. Mother <laughs> God. So let's put it this way. She is a psychiatric nurse now in San Francisco in a psychiatric ER place, and we never even got into that, and the interview was two hours long. That's uh... So there's a lot of shit. That's crazy. And she I, was a, the first listener to contact me to say, I think I might be a good guest. <laughs> <laughs> and so that opened the door. Probably a, a half of my guests are listeners to, yeah. the, to the show. Well, I, I got the email from someone. I think it was after I did Duncan's podcast and we talked about anxiety. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I'm fucking – I totally deal with it. And then so I got an email from someone saying you should totally do – Yeah, I think they tweeted Paul's, it. Yeah, Paul's That's... podcast. And I was like, oh, yeah. And in my head I was like, wait, I know Paul's podcast – and I don't know. I maybe I want to say Brody was on it. Yes, he and was. I heard that episode. Um, I get really confused now when I hear when I like anything that all the podcasts go into an atmosphere in my head, and I just remember the conversations that I overheard, mm-hmm. and I go, "Yeah, whose was that on?" I do too. But uh, they're trying to get your attention so that they can somewhat be in the podcast. <laughs> they're just walking to the alley. There's nothing back there. They're gonna have to walk back by. Look, there. Uh, but I listen to that podcast, and 
and I was like, oh, I know his podcast. And then you said, and but I didn't. I don't think I really knew what I was e- tweeting you. I was like, oh yeah, I knew you talked about like mental issues. And I was like, yeah, um, yeah, I'm fucking crazy. I'll definitely do it. And then you're like, just so you know, we it, we get really deep, and I don't release all of them. And I was like, oh, I think <laughs> I know what he's saying. And I was like, oh, I need to go back and re-listen to Brody's because I think I maybe was listening half in the bag on an yeah. airplane. And I was like, oh, this is awkward, but you know, but. But and, so I think and, and Brody's Brody's is about the middle of the road in terms of people going deep. Yeah, he didn't. About, I don't want to say he went overly deep. You, right. did, did you do one with Todd Glass too? I did. I think I listened to that one too. That's um, so far the top voted one of 2014. But the, the we're still waiting for for more votes. To, so now, to um, so Lauren Ashley Bishop is a great one. That's so. from – she's a comic, and she uh, – we just recorded that one like four weeks ago, and that's a really, really beautiful but heavy uh, episode. That It's about – that interview is almost two hours long, and it's a great one. And then I read listeners' confessions. That's a part of the survey is I read their, their uh, confessions that they submit anonymously, and there's some mm, yeah. be- beautifully profound ones in there. Yep. I was, I, now that I'm – now that I'm – I'm like, yeah, yeah. I remember, like, the f- beginning of your podcast was responding to listeners, and mm-hmm. and I was like, and I and on my head, I was like, I was like, oh, this, yeah, wait, what is this? And then I listened. I was like, oh, I, I talked to Leanne. She's like, well, he can do the 27th of January, and I was like, mm, you know what? Let's just have him on my podcast. And then I get to know him. We'll talk, and you know what? Maybe one day when everything clears up and the fucking rain stops, maybe maybe I'll go do his podcast. <laughs> it's a standing invitation, Bert. I appreciate it. It's a Thank standing you. invitation, and I would love to have your wife on if she's. Uh, oh, Leanne, come here. Um, I don't, I'm afraid to even bring stuff up because I, sh- I don't. She'll just open up. Um, so Paul's podcast is all about uh, like it's like therapy, pretty much. Yeah, but I'm I'm just uh, somebody who's been through childhood stuff, and I'm honest about it on my podcast, and then I just. You have somebody on, and we converse about the stuff that we've been through. And, and Liam, and, and, and I was, was saying, he I'd was love suggesting you, to be you on his podcast. Awesome. No, this one? no, on his podcast, on my podcast. Go do his podcast yeah. and talk about. I have some childhood stuff too. Yeah, that's what yeah, he well, said. I'm saying the stuff with your mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super fun stuff. Yeah, and I was like, because I was telling him when we first started dating, you know, stand right in front of the camera. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> no, I said when we first started dating, how we were like hooking up, and I thought we were gonna have sex. You're like, well, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. And I was like, oh, she has herpes. And then he, you like went through the whole like I've got some issues. I'm you know, yeah. I got some really heavy stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? And Paul's like, yeah, now you understand maybe the, how how great she was being and telling you all this stuff. And I was like, what does this have to do with sex? So I'm gonna set you up. I want you to do his podcast. Yeah. I think it'll be fucking. You sound like you'd be a great guest. Yeah, she's very honest, and she doesn't mind crying. I am very honest. Good. We welcome tears on the on the podcast. Okay, no problem with it. Good. All right. Well, that's all. Okay, we're going to letters. Okay, I'll see you later. Uh, we're going to wrap up soon. Uh, I only have a couple, I have a couple more things. I'm dying to know. I'm dying to know what gave you the balls to start your podcast. Okay. All right. Love you. We'll be in touch. Okay. Oh, just you and your dad are going to Lowe's. Yes. Okay. Okay. You too. Yeah, have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Okay. All right. So wait, what gave you the... I, I had gone off my meds and I wanted to kill myself. And this was with, you know, eight years of sobriety and 10 years of going to a psychiatrist and therapy and 
support groups and blah, 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 blah. And I realized suddenly, oh, my God, this is the darkness coming back. This is the depression. This is the mental illness. This isn't me. And I thought, I got to get word out there. I, I have to talk about this because there are people out there who've never been to a psychiatrist who don't realize that this urge to kill themselves is not who they really are inside. It's being masked by their illness. And so I thought that's what I'll do a podcast on because my wife had had been telling me, you got to do a podcast. You got to do a podcast. And uh, and Patton had had said, you got to do a podcast. And I was like, well, if Patton Oswalt thinks I should do a podcast, I'll uh, maybe I'll do a podcast. And uh, that's what I thought. I'll just talk about the the ways that Mental illness camouflages itself and presents itself as your life sucks and you need out of it. And if, and it, I, I, and I, I say this very candidly. I've seen the darkness. I know what that looks like. And when I first moved to New York, um, uh, not first when I moved to New York, but like right after I've been there like seven months and stand up still wasn't happening, and I was working at Barnes and Noble, and I had a one night stand that spiraled darkness into like believing. I mean, real obsessive compulsive behavior. Real saying snossages over and over again. Uh, no, looking at my penis nonstop. Seriously, like, dead seriously, dead seriously. I can't tell you about this dark. I went to my cousin. Oh, I mean, I, I did everything I and I've never thought about killing myself. I've never that's never crossed my mind. And I just had a friend, one of my best friends, recently just killed himself. Oh, I'm sorry and to hear that. Fucking, I, I fucking to this day, I, I, it's something that I just fucking just drops me i'm like motherfucker why didn't you just go to sleep like why didn't you fucking just go to sleep just sleep it off and i don't know but anyway um but that darkness is very real it's very real and it's george george lucas has nothing on his cgi has nothing on the picture the false picture that depression paints it's so real it's you're convinced it's reality it's and legit, it's not and it's it is it is oh, i've fucked this up forever yep it's not going to change it's, it's not, not going to get better yeah and i remember that and i remember walking through washington square park walking to barnes and noble i had played the i'm and by the way i'm i'm very honest on my podcast but I'll, and i'm honest with this i'm sure i've told this people this and i know i've told it on stage i don't give a fuck about that kind of stuff i don't give a fuck about honesty and i knew you uh, you're not i'm not going to out creep you just stop listening that's my opinion um but like I had one I stand and I just I and I was working at Barnes and Noble and I'd spend time in the toilet at Barnes and Noble just sitting there in the employee bathroom to kill time and uh, and I one day I was like you know I haven't really looked at my junk in a while and I looked at my junk and I was just like I was like was this all is this what it has always looked like like it just looked older it looked like different it looked like and I was like wait is that a bump and I was like oh shit I got, I got genital warts and that's when I spiraled didn't I wouldn't go to a doctor but. And that after that one moment, that one moment, I then became completely obsessive compulsive about it. And I put, I would go to CVS, I would buy 19 different medications that I was now self, I've told someone. None of which will work. None of, none of which were even for what I thought I had. I was putting Tanactin on it. I would soak it in a bowl of vinegar. I'd sit and watch Quantum Leap with my balls and dick in a bowl of vinegar and a 40. And I'd be like, I'm going to I'm gonna take care of this. Soaking it in fucking vinegar. Just soaking it for like four, a whole episode of Quantum Leap. I remember this so specific. And by the way, I was growing pot at the time too. And I was horrible at it. I had a little pot plant outside my, my, my fire escape. 
And I remember one day walking to work. My junk is sore because I've been messing up with it so much. And I was walking through Washington Square Park thinking, how can any of these people smile? How dare they mm-hmm. smile? What do they have to – it doesn't end well for any of us, and it sucks. And I was like, is no one seeing the darkness that I see? And then and then, I, and then uh, I went to Philly to go sit with my cousin Abe, and I found myself drinking a lot, like all the time. But my cousin Abe was like – our family's big drinkers. My cousin Abe was like, come on, we'll go get a sandwich, have a beer. It's like that Northeast mentality, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think Abe called my mom. was like, I think something's going on with Bert. And I got to Penn Station, and I had a beep, a pager on my beeper. My mom called me. I called my mom, and she said, uh, why don't you fly home? And I was like, what? She's like, hey, don't go straight to the airport from where you are right now. Go to the airport, fly home. I was like, I, I don't. I, I. She's like, nope, there's nothing. Just come on home. So I was like, okay. And I went from Penn Station to the airport, flew home. And my mom's like, uh, something's going on. Like, what do you need? And uh, two things happened. That My mom, I set up an appointment with my mom's dermatologist and got checked for general warts. Didn't have it. That's the saddest part of all of this. Didn't have anything wrong with my junk. The lady looked at me and said, have you been playing with your penis? I said, a lot. She was like, like how aggressively? I said, like, like I said, I think it's gotten out of control. She goes, do me a favor. Let's not touch it for a little while, okay? Let's not put any ointments on it, put any creams, put anything on it. Don't soak it in anything. Don't do anything. Did you did, did you consider saying, well, I won't touch it, but can you keep touching it? <laughs> I should have. I should have. Uh, because she said, let's not, let's, not goes, t- let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not touch it. She goes, and just how about you relax, okay? Take, relax. I think she might have prescribed me Xanax. I don't know if she did or not, but I went home that night and had a bottle of white wine with my grandmother, and my grandmother gave me, this is obsessive compulsive, gave me this exact necklace with this St. Jude medallion on it. My grandmother's like, I don't know what you're going through. Just old, like New York. I don't know what you're going through, but don't ever take this necklace off. It's St. Jude, Patriots ain't a hopeless cases. Whenever you get your thoughts, read this prayer card. I got the prayer card everywhere. I'm sure I got one floating around. I got St. Jude prayer cards everywhere, and so... I said to myself, every time I'm thinking about looking at my dick, and I thought about it nonstop, I'd read the back of the St. Jude prayer card instead of it. And I said, I'll get to a point where I just don't want to read the fucking card anymore, and then I'll stop doing that. And it went away. All the obsessiveness, anxiety, all went away. Wow. All went away. And, then I, and then, of course, I got checked two more times for genital warts because I was like, I don't believe anyone's opinion. And I even told my wife when we started, first started dating, I was like, I might have genital warts. She looked at my dick. She's like, there's nothing wrong with your dick. And I was like, I mean, I was, I still, but, but that darkness is real. So you had the darkness. You started your podcast. Mm-hmm. What were the first episodes? I mean, uh, Janet Varney, which is a great episode. That was the first one. Um, Adam Carolla, Mark Marin, Jimmy Pardo, uh, Paul Tompkins, uh, Jen Kirkman. Jen Kirkman's great. Yeah, Jen was great. Uh, Jen, Jen was like my little, my little. That sounds. I already know. Can hear Jen's head going. Little what? Finish the sentence. Jen was my spirit, uh, my spirit taker, caretaker. Uh, when I started not drinking, flying, I would text her, and I would, and she helped me through a lot of that. And then, quite honestly, I started flying around the world, and I was like, "Fuck that shit! I'm back to drinking on planes." 
but she was really great to me, and yeah. I, I love her. I think she's a fantastic. She was person. one of the first pe- people to reach out to me and say, I, I, "I love what you're doing. Keep doing it," and that meant a lot to me. And then Paul F. Tompkins was another person who said, um, "I, I really like what you're doing, and uh, you should be proud of yourself." And it, it was that coming from him was incredibly, incredibly gratifying. What was the learning curve on haters? You know, because. I make so much fun of myself and I reveal such painful things about myself and I am so not judgmental uh, on the podcast. There's really not much in the way of, of, of haters. Um, what I will get sometimes is people who love the podcast saying, uh, I really disagree with the way Paul handled that subject. I feel like he, he missed this point here or, oh, Paul annoyed me on that last episode because he talked about, you know, this f- fucking thing again. Or he yeah. interrupted his guest too many times. That's me. And, and That's me. Well, that join the club. Join uh, the club. You know what everyone's going to say this? I would have loved to have heard what Paul had to say. <laughs> Dude, you know, it's to the point now where anybody who's a regular listener accepts me warts and all. <laughs> And uh, by the way, I had genital warts when I was in my 20s, too. And it really? was fucking miserable. I had to get laser surgery. It was the only thing that worked. Yeah. Um, I w- went to see this one guy who was like, might as well have been a miner in a cowboy town. He was so out of touch, who g- basically used a thing that was like a handheld rototiller with dry ice that, that he would drive over my dick to try to freeze the the warts away which did not work so i eventually had to had to get laser surgery but anyway i had dr drew i you know the last time i talked about this was with dr drew and i think i showed him my dick i think i even showed dr drew my dick and he and it's i know what it's called i forget the name of it but it's uh like it's uh bumps on the base of your dick it's called like uh oh sebaceous sebaceous gland yes i have those too yeah we've painted a lovely picture haven't we yeah (laughs) <laughs> and, and and Dr. Drew's like, yeah, they're not. It's not harmful. It's not. It's, you're fine. He's like, yeah. a lot of people get them. Don't worry about them. He's like, you can get them to removed. I was like, well, I, no one seems no. to have a problem with my dick. Yeah, very few people checking out the underside of my dick. Even sebaceous glands. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. And so, but uh, but yeah, I know. So so it's people critiquing how you. Yes, but th- it's done with such love and and compassion uh, that I can take it in, and it's helped me become a better interviewer. So I'm grateful for it. And uh, no, really, not much in the way of haters. What I do occasionally get is somebody who is um, either in a really bad place or they're um, untreated, and they. They're just – I have to just say, please don't post in the forum anymore because you're, what you're posting is really uh, counterproductive to what the vibe we're trying to create here. Um, but it's mostly them you know, attacking somebody else in the forum. I usually give them a warning. Uh, but I feel like I've been pretty lucky um, as far as haters. Yeah. Are, is it nice to feel like – is it is it nice to be in the position you're in? Because I feel like you're you've you're television royalty. You, no one's on TV for fucking sixteen years. You you've you're now you're a lot like Rogan in the sense that you're doing what you want to do on your time, and no one's telling you what to do. 
You, Corolla, is. Rogan and Corolla are the two pirate ship captains. They are. They are. Um, I feel extremely lucky. Uh, you know, my show was basic cable, so it's not like it set me up. I, I will probably have to work for the rest of my life, but I'm okay because uh, with doing that because I love what what I'm doing yeah. and it doesn't feel like work to me. Yeah. And the podcast hasn't grown so big that I can't still do almost everything by myself. Do you do it all by yourself? Almost every, really. Yeah. Basically everything except running the, um, programming of the website. That's about the only thing. Yeah. I do um, it all myself. I, I'm a little bit neurotic about that. It's nice to be able to have that control, but it's getting to the point where it's getting a little too big. And sometimes I have to have some therapists help out with um, putting together guest blogs or um, responding to people's emails. But I still answer 99.9% of the the emails that, that come through. So who's your big – who's your get? Who's the one you want? Who's the the – the fish that you haven't landed yet. Um, I was talking to, to uh, Zach uh, Galifianakis, and we were going back and forth. And we, I, I finally just went, you know what? Maybe it's not meant to be because we exchanged like ten emails back and forth. We were trying to make it work. Um, Patton's another person who I know personally. I don't know why he's been reticent to to come on. Well, the fear is. I mean, I, I can tell you personally. Like I can share with you on my podcast about shit I know I've talked about, but the shit I'm afraid that I'm, then it's like all of a sudden I'm afraid people will see me on stage and the, and the veil will be down and, Mm. you know, and I'm sure that's like, I find Zach to be one of the most fascinating guys. He's such a sweet man. He he really genuinely is. And I don't think I've ever not run into him and, and not had a bullshit. I mean, and, and had a zero pretense is zero zero pretense. pretense. I'd like to get Mariel Hemingway because there is a lot of crazy in her family, and she did a documentary that is fucking so beautiful and painful and heartbreaking called Running From Crazy, if you get a chance to watch that. Really? It's about the Hemingway family and the history of mental illness and addiction. Oh, yeah. You know who I was thinking of was fucking the lady from Taxi. I thought that's who you said. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Mary Lou. Mary Lou Henner. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's who you said. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um. There's a bunch of bunch of people that I would love. Um, I was talking to uh, oh god, what is his name? Why am I blanking on his name? Really funny uh, English uh, comedian who did a really funny film series. I'm, I'm anyway. Um, I'd like to get Stephen Fry. Uh, there's a there's a lot of people. Yeah, that's a nice thing about doing the show with that topic is I will never run out of guests, especially now that half my guests are listeners. Um, But the listener recordings can be hit or miss uh, sometimes. Those and those ones that are cinematic are awesome. But sometimes it's those people, the people that have led these really tough, insanely uh, conquering stories, they don't they got that Oprah gene. Mm-hmm. And they go, I don't, I don't have any problems. Yeah. I'm good. Like one of our, one of my good, one of my best friends, his mom is uh, wrote a book called When Heaven and Earth Changed Places. It was an Oliver Stone movie, Heaven and Earth. She's a Vietnam, uh, Vietnamese refugee. Wow. She, during the war, was captured by the North, who tortured and raped her. Captured, then sent back to the South, who thought she was a traitor, and then uh. raped her and tortured her. And I mean, all these. Hor- I had her on my podcast. I mean, f- for. 
the day my Joey Diaz gave my dad marijuana, she actually she just walked in the room and was here. And I was like, what was like the craziest thing you saw in the Vietnam War? She said, the day my, they dropped my brother out of a helicopter into our village and killed him. I remember thinking, nah, it just started. Good and I went, Lord. But she is, uh, she's one of those like survivors. Like, I, why would I talk about that? It's bad memories. Why am I going to fucking, I'm good. Right. You know, like right. those people. My wife would have been one of those people, but is not. Mm. But, uh, well, I, I feel like saying, do you have any questions for me? I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I fucking brought you on here to just open oh. up. Uh, but, but I love, I mean, I love what you're doing and I, and I, I just want to drive more traffic there. So more people, it, it's, it's like, it's like you're fucking winning a big bag of karma. Like, oh, thank just you. Just fucking helping people. It, it, it... Bert, and it I helps me so much. Coming from you, like <laughs> when, like I've known you on TV for fucking sixteen. I didn't see it years. coming from me. I didn't see it coming from me. I just I thought my life was going to be in TV, and that that's you know what I was meant to do. And this came along, and I was like, wow, I really, really love doing this, and so I'm doing it. I feel like it's where I'm supposed to be in the universe, and it really helps calm me down. And and I have to say. I wouldn't still be doing it if it didn't help me, if it didn't help me heal, if it didn't help me get out of bed in the morning, uh, and if it didn't bring me a lot of joy and pleasure and comfort. I get comforted by the emails and and uh, interactions I have with listeners and guests. It's extremely comforting. So it helps me as much as it potentially helps anybody that listens. Well, uh, do you have anything to promote? Just the website and the podcast, Mental Illness Happy Hour. The website's mentalpod.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my handle is mentalpod. Uh, you're great, too, Paul. I'm really Dude. glad to have met you and, and hung out with you. And It's an it's an honor. Thank you for having me on. Wait, I can't wait until my wife does the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, This episode was brought to you by The Machine.